the Timepieces History Podcast, where each bite-sized show shares the story of a place, person, or object from the past. Here's your host, Gudrun Lorette. Hello, and welcome to the Timepieces History Podcast. Today, we're looking at the Farne Islands, just off the coast of Northumberland. As always, show notes and transcripts can be found on my website. Please leave me a comment there over on Twitter, or on whichever podcast platform you're listening to this episode on. The largest of the Farne Islands, and one of the three which is accessible, there are 28 in total, is Lindisfarne, which is 1.5 miles or 2.4 kilometres north to south, and 3 miles, 4.8 kilometres east to west. While it has a permanent population of only 160 people, it receives 650,000 visitors every year, many of whom stay in one of its five hotels or rent a holiday cottage. The Anglo-Saxons named the island, which became a religious site when the first monastery was built in 635 AD. The two most significant bishops of the monastery are St Aidan, who we looked at in episode 3 of season 1, and St Cuthbert, who featured in episode 4 of this season. The monastery at Lindisfarne was the target of the first recorded Viking raid in 793, although the island itself was visited by a group of Norsemen in 787, who killed the reeve sent to escort them to the king. Religious sites were often attacked, and the clergy described the Norsemen as a most vile people, which was not actually how they saw themselves. The Norse people considered raiding honourable, where the victory of battle claimed the spoils of war. They were very good at it, because they had superior ships and were committed to the task. Theft, on the other hand, was frowned upon, and their own mythology taught the Vikings that thieves would be tormented after death. The raid on Lindisfarne saw the deaths of many monks and the looting of the church treasures. Despite this, the religious community survived and they erected a doomsday stone to commemorate the event. After that, the Benedictine period and the second monastery lasted from 1066, after the Norman conquest, until the dissolution of the monasteries by Henry VIII in 1536. A smaller St Cuthbert's church was built in the 19th century after several Lindisfarne locals became Presbyterians the century before. You can visit St Cuthbert's chapel at Innerfarne, which was built in the 1300s over the cell from which he dispensed his blessings, and which was updated again in the 19th century. Also on the island is a peel tower, which is a fortified building designed for defence and often built along the Scottish border in the mid-14th century. The word peel describes an enclosure where livestock were put when there was danger. Animals were, of course, targets of border raids. The towers were constructed in one corner of the enclosure. This peel tower is known as Prior Castle's Tower. Prior of Durham between 1494 and 1519, Thomas Castle was in charge when the tower was constructed. It was used as accommodation for the monks on the island, and became a garrison after the monastery dissolution. The captain of the island complained to Queen Elizabeth that the tower was falling down, and she agreed to have it updated in 1566. However, barely 80 years later the military had abandoned it, and it was unused until it served as a rudimentary lighthouse in the 1700s, which was then replaced by a proper lighthouse structure. From the 1840s it was used as an occasional residence by the Durham Archdeacons. Elsewhere across the Farne Islands there are communities of both puffins and kittiwakes, along with eider ducks, guillemots and shags. There are thousands of grey seals living across the islands, with an estimated population of around 8,000. Birdwatching is popular, and there are boat trips around the islands for tourists. The other famous inhabitant of the Farne Islands was Grace Darling. Born in Bramber in 1815, Grace's father William was the keeper of both Brownsman Lighthouse on the island of the same name, and that of Longstone. A beacon was most likely placed on Prior Castle's Tower sometime after 1669, but the first lighthouses were built in 1776. The beacon tower on Brownsman was built in 1795, 
Grace's grandfather had been the lighthouse keeper on Brownsman Island first, and William, the only boy in a family of seven, was his natural successor. William later married Thomasin Horsley, who at the age of 31 was 12 years his senior. They had nine children who all learnt to row boats when they were young. William and his sons would rescue the sailors who got into trouble, while Thomason and the girls were responsible both for keeping watch and making sure that the lantern was burning, as well as preparing to deal with the aftermath of any disasters. William suggested an additional lighthouse be built on the nearby Longstone Island for extra security, and it was completed in 1825. The family moved there in the following year, when Grace was 10. Many of the children were educated in Bamborough and moved away to settle down. Grace, however, was educated at home, eventually becoming William's assistant. She was at home on Longstone in 1838 when the SS Forfordshire met with its fate on the rocks around the farms. The ship had left Hull on the 5th of September bound for Dundee. Two days later, with boiler failures and a storm brewing, the captain decided to shelter in the Farne Islands. Struggling to navigate in the rain, he aimed towards what he thought was a lighthouse on Inner Farne. Unfortunately, the ship struck rocks just off Longstone, causing it to split in two and killing most of the passengers and crew. Grace and her parents were the only family home at the time, and it was Grace who noticed the ship in distress and worked her father. With Thomason holding the fort, William and his daughter set out in their 20-foot boat to search for survivors. They had to take the long way around, but reached the outcrop where those still alive were huddled. While William climbed onto the rocks to help people to the boat, Grace kept it steady. It took two trips to rescue the nine survivors, with William completing a second trip with the help of two of the crew. The following day, a rescue boat set out from sea houses to look for the survivors. Finding none and unable to return home, they managed to get to Longstone and were shocked to find the Darlings tending the people they'd pulled from the wreckage. The storm raged on for another three days, meaning the Darling family had to care for both those from the SS Forfordshire and the lifeboat men who couldn't get back to sea houses. News of Grace's bravery spread around the world and she was sent all kinds of gifts. She was the subject of songs, plays, paintings and novels and she was featured on souvenirs. Grace received many marriage proposals and was obliged to write thank you letters in response to every message sent to her. She was constantly in demand, invited to attend all kinds of events, to meet with dignitaries and talk about her experience. Used to quiet life on the islands, Grace struggled with both her newfound fame and the obligations of other people. After two years, she was exhausted. Seeking peace and quiet in spring 1842, she went first to her brother's lighthouse on Coquit Island and then to Annick, where she caught a cold. From then, her health declined rapidly. She went to Longstone, Wooler and then back to Annick before her father took her to stay with her sister in Bamborough. Grace was dying with tuberculosis, but the stress of constant visitors and requests for her time had worn her out. She died at the age of 26 in her father's arms, only a couple of days after giving away all of her possessions. That's everything for today. Thank you so much for listening. Please tune in next week. Thank you for listening to the Time Pieces History Podcast. Don't forget to listen next time for more quick history facts.